0: Welcome back to A Method to the Madness, the weekly podcast where we discuss, analyse, and otherwise ponder our favourite films and television. I'm your host, Patrick Laverne, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, Mitchy. How you doing, man?
1: Hello. How you going?
0: Yeah, pretty good, man. All right. Because this week, we are <laughs> this week we are reviewing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the 2019 film written and directed by none other than Quentin Tarantino. The narcissist. Starring... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, starring Brad Pitt's... I don't know why I said him first. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who's the other dude? Leonardo DiCaprio, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And Margot Robbie. And Al Pacino. As always. Can't forget him.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. For the fucking five minutes he's in it for.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, like, famous actors just sprinkled in here and there. As always, we'll go around and get our general impressions of the film. Mitchie, what did you think of this film?
1: So, um, I've watched this film many times now i'd say like six or seven times and i've loved it every time holy shit yeah yeah i've watched it a lot like i keep <laughs> inviting people over and, and i'm like yeah you want to watch a good movie once upon a time in hollywood it's, it's fucking sick and you're like tarantino you don't no nah, well i'll force you to watch it anyway but um <laughs> but yeah it's it's it, it grows on me every time i watch it like the first time mm. the main problem i had with it was it was confusing and i I honestly had no idea about the whole, the plot of it and the historical context with the Manson murders, specifically the Tate murders, and because, you know, I'm not that old and I don't give a fuck about the Manson cult, so why the fuck would I know that? And I don't think it was very clear. I don't know if it was meant to be clearer or not, and, you know, that's something we can talk about, but that that bit really confused me. But once I read into it after watching it the first time, I'm like, wow, this has actually historical context similarly to his other movie, Inglourious Bastards um yeah i loved it and and the plot kind of it it made more sense you know what what the whole lead up to it was and then i began to kind of understand what the whole point of the movie was and there's a lot of analysis you can do with this and i don't think it all comes the first time but i do like movies though that you can watch over and over again you find new things and that this is definitely one of those
0: hmm yeah man um i always feel like we have other than Blade Runner, we're always on the same page about what we think of films. Yeah, Blade Runner's
1: um, trash. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the movies. is It's a lowest film too, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at least someone's on my side.
0: <laughs> Every time, uh, yeah, I've seen this film maybe like four times. Every time I've seen it, I like it more. It's it, it is the the kind of film that grows on you. Yeah. And similarly with you, I the first time I didn't get it. I didn't get what the point was, which now I kind of can put that together. As being, you know, because it's pretty aimless. Yeah. Just like two dudes hanging out, <laughs> yeah. which is honestly what is so magical about this film. Um, I it's like, uh, we talked about this um, off recording a lot, but about Tarantino's ethos in making films with mm. m- a message. There are some, like Inglorious Barson and Django, which have a coherent, uh, you yeah, have a coherence, an overall coherence. But yeah. what I think. Why I love Tarantino so much is because he's so good at cohesion and not coherence. Um, <clears throat> the difference is that cohesion is like a flow, like um, the component parts that lead into one another have, you know, a connection, whereas a coherence is like an overall conceit that you can take away from the film after you finished it. Do you get it?
1: Right, okay, so it's sort of like a meaning or a lesson.
0: Yeah, yeah, whereas... Yep. You know, a, a co- like, his films are coherent in that the plot goes from one thing to the next, and you can see how it progresses, right? Mm. But then once you once it's finished, you're like, wait, what did, What the fuck did I just watch? That kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. honestly, um, it's, it's incredibly hard to pull that shit off, uh, which is probably why you don't really see that much of that kind of stuff a lot, yeah. which is why I, I love this shit, man. Like, Tarantino, honestly, and, you know, I was saying last week about how Robert Eggers is probably my... Favorite new up and coming director? I think my favorite director just in general is probably Tarantino.
1: Really? Okay. Yeah. Not Nolan.
0: <sighs> yeah. I mean, I love Nolan, but after last night, after I rewatched this film for like the fourth time, it kind of solidified in my mind. Like, yeah, Tarantino. Yeah, okay.
1: He's the dude. Yep. He's a character too. Like the di- <laughs> yeah, yeah. himself. Fuck. He, he's such a weirdo. A. Like. He's just oh, so man. strange, and like his voice, like, <laughs> is real high pitched and. It's like he's fucking on cocaine all the time or some shit, you know? Like, yes. just super, like, fucking non-stop words out of his mouth. But, I don't yeah. know, he's a cool bloke. He's a bit narcissistic, yeah. but who wouldn't yeah. be when you're at that kind of fame?
0: I know. And it, it contrasts a lot when you see him in these interviews and stuff, and he's, like, really erratic and manic. Yeah. But the dude's... He's an intelligent dude, and you, you would never get that if you just saw any of the real-life shit he's been in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there, there, there's this video I particularly like of some paparazzi filming him outside of a set and he's like threatening to like beat up the paparazzi if if he wasn't filming it's like, yeah. if that camera wasn't on i'd be whooping your ass up and down the street yeah. <laughs> it's so good he's yeah <laughs> yeah anyway um uh, let's go into a quick plot summary
1: yes so this is a historical revisionist film technically though we can discuss why it isn't really a great revisionist film but like all historical revisionist films once upon a time in hollywood is set during a time of significant historical culture So, in this case, it's 1969, and like Vincent and Jules in Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has two partnered protagonists, Rick and Cliff, both acted by the wonderful DiCaprio and Pitt, respectively. The former is a waning actor in Hollywood, most well-known for his role in a quintessential cowboy TV TV series. The latter is a stunt double and chauffeur for Rick, and is also his best friend. On the side of these two characters is the story of Sharon Tate, who's acted by Margot Robbie and is actually a real person, a real actress from that time, who was in reality the victim of the gruesome Tate murders perpetrated by the followers of Charles Manson. The film entertainingly takes us through the typical daily life of these three characters, mostly in separation. The source of conflict, as required in any good storytelling, is a Manson cult whom Cliff has an unwelcome encounter with. At the end of the movie, four Manson followers plan to murder well-known Hollywood residents. When it appears they are about to infiltrate the home of the Tates, Rick's drunken stupor irks them into invading his home instead. They encounter Cliff for the second time, who kills them in perhaps the most brutal scene by Tarantino yet. The movie ends with Rick meeting Sharon Tate, bringing a final connection between our three characters. End movie. Yeah, I I didn't nice. really go into the details much because well,
0: I mean, it's it's hard to pinpoint the big things that happen because it's
1: just not yeah, n- none of it seems significant really. It's it, just it's a shit. very mellow film. Yeah, yeah. In terms of yeah, um yeah. plot drive and narrative, pff, it's not really much going on. It's like Wh- which just end.
0: speaks to how good you know everything needs to be, like the writing, the directing, and the acting, and, and the, the characters. Acting. Right. That that's what yeah, I yeah, love exactly. about
1: this film is that um the characters are just like, compellingly amusing, like, you know, they're really, they're not three-dimensional, really, they're pretty shallow characters. I guess Rick sort of has some development over it, he realises he's a waning actor and he has to go and do spaghetti westerns, but they don't really change too much in a movie, but it, you love them anyway. It's sort of like Jules and Verne in Pulp Fiction, like, Tarantino has a knack for kind of making these characters that are, like, don't really have too much depth to them, but you love them anyway.
0: Really? That's interesting. I think the opposite, actually. I think that these are very multi-dimensional characters. Really? Yeah, they have so many, like, contradictions about them. Yeah, and... they do. But yeah, yeah, there's not that, much I mean... development
1: of their character, though.
0: Really? I, th- Okay, so how I think the film has momentum is through development. It's not... There's not much plot, but every scene there is just so much character development. And, you know, I think... <laughs> Callback to our game of thrones podcast that we did that never got published um i, I did this i made this comparison between character progression and character development right where yep. development is like you get more insight into the character into the being of these people whereas character progression is how they change as people yeah not, not much character progression happens in this movie but man you learn so much about these characters and who they are
1: yeah okay yeah yeah okay yeah i guess that the definitely i agree with you on the progression part and that's kind of more what i'm saying is that they don't really seem to progress much, but you do learn a lot about their characters, I guess. But yeah. even then, what you learn is kind of like, like it, Rick is the exception, right? Like he can't, he does develop and actually progress as a character. Yeah. But the others, like Cliff, like what the fuck happens with him? Like nothing. He you, he's just a hard ass ex um, Nam vet that you know. I don't know. Like, he, he doesn't seem to have much drive, really. He just lives this ascetic <laughs> lifestyle yeah, in, in this fucking caravan, has his dog, but like, not much is developing with him.
0: Yeah. That's because he's a fucking loser. <laughs> like, it's, and his only real, like, um, he's a mad cunt. He's not a loser. But what's, what's <laughs> the only, like, relationship he has? in amicable relationship is him and rick dalton right because he's yeah. he's this violence narcissistic racist person like he's a deplorable guy and but yeah. you know he he is he is presented so suave and like as he's you know on a surface level he is a pretty he's a cool guy right and that is what we see yeah. him he's a cool guy but uh, i don't know that's that's what i mean about development over the throughout the course of the movie there's a, like these little things sprinkled in where you're like oh shit he actually is just this like you know, guy from the 60s, very, um, yeah, different. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Who are you?
1: It's Cliff Booth. Just stopped in to say hello and see how you're doing. John Wilkes? Cliff Booth. Who's that? I I used to shoot Bounty Law here, George. I was Rick Dalton's stunt double. Who? Rick Dalton. Dalton brothers. Rick Dalton. Who's that? He was the star of Bounty Law. And who are you? I was Rick's stunt double. Rick, who? Uh, it don't matter, George. I I, do, I don't understand how cl- hit that Cliff is his stunt double though, because they're fucking <laughs> different heights, don't look the same. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I anyway, know. I suppose you can just put a mask on him or some shit. Um, so with any good Tarantino film, we stick to the feet shot of gender, just as a quick note. <laughs> There's plenty of feet shots in tar- uh, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These are some dirty um, feet of... shots though, compared to his Sorry? usual
0: ones. They're dirty in this film.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, but then I... Margot Robbie's dirty feet, like pff, and, you and know, Margaret Qually. Sorry? And Margaret Qually. The the hippie chick. Pussycat. Oh yeah, yeah, and her. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, yeah. Also I don't know if this was a thing before I get into what I actually want to talk about, but I feel like some of the acting in it was so deceptive. Like, so you know how Sharon Tate, or Margot Robbie's character is trying to get into the cinema. Yeah. And I, I shit you not, the first time I watched it because I, I don't know anything about sixties film really, and I didn't know Sharon Tate was a real actress. So I just thought she was a fictional character, right? And and that like that she was in that movie in the cinema, right? Hmm. And I didn't know that Margot Robbie's character was actually Sharon Tate in the film that she was going to watch at the cinema, right? I like I just didn't make that connection the first time because because that's how confused I was by the historical context of it all. So you just and thought then, she was having a really good time in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that she was faking her way in, right? And like yeah, yeah. honestly, the way she acts it is is just because it's hard now, right? You know she's Sharon Tate, but like mm. if you could just erase that from your mind and then watch the scene again, then you'd agree with me and you'd be like, okay, it, because the way it's like shot, like there's all these canted shots in it. Which kind of makes you feel like it's, you know, like canted shots are for, I guess, uneasiness or something like mistrusting. I don't know. And and, and the way she kind of conveys herself, it's like, I don't know, like, is she actually Sharon Tate or is she faking it? Just trying to get a free ticket. <laughs> no, Which dude. obviously is like so, so I random, like... I-
0: yeah, I don't have to rewatch it. I totally agree with you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah, well, exactly, um, right. And it's like, that, why? Like, why the, is she like that when she is Sharon Tate? The the lady at the booth is like, "Is that you?" And then Margot Robbie's like,
1: "Uh, yeah, that's me." Like, she yeah. says it like that. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then the other time this kind of acting happens is when they um when Pussy and the other other hippies at the Spahn Ranch claim that George is all okay in the house Hmm. and and the way they say it is like (laughs) oh fuck we don't want you go in there because we actually shanked him and he's dead in the bed or something and he goes in there and he's fucking cacked out and he's all good like you know again like the way it's acted is kind of like it's it seems very deliberate like the script writers or Tarantino himself told an act like that that that
0: scene for sure was deliberate that was that was like a 10 minute joke that's what that was
1: yeah, exactly. But it was, what was the point building all that tension to have George completely okay? Because
0: you know, if you went into this with the historical context, you know that Spawn Ranch is where the Manson people hung out, and therefore that whole scene mm. is meant to be filled with like you know this this tension, right? Because you're like, oh fuck.
1: Okay, yeah, and it makes you seem like they actually did kill someone, like they did. I yeah, guess. yeah, and
0: you know they like like all of them say the sausage, shit, and then it all turns out to be true. Yeah. And <laughs> I have a, I have a, like a new appreciation for that scene because you know it's like a it's like a long drawn out joke. Yeah. First of all, and it also at the end it just reveals the kind of like what I was saying about Cliff Booth being a loser. Like he just checks up on this dude who doesn't even remember who he was. <laughs> like you know. He's just, yeah, I yeah, mean, like
1: he has. Yeah. I I didn't enjoy that scene so much. I thought the whole drawing out the fake yeah, like, humor, like you say, was a bit annoying bit yeah yeah yeah. anyway um so i guess we should talk about what the point of this film is and Mm -hmm. i mean what what do you think the point of this film is because a lot of people say like there is no point and they watch it and they uh, come out of the cinema like what the fuck did i just watch like you said before so but do you have a point to this well sorry do you think there is a point to this
0: i've seen a lot of analysis online about this film being a meditative reflection on tarantino and his career Mm. which i don't think is wrong i think is, from what i've seen it is there are a lot of points being made that are that makes sense and honestly like yeah i i i do agree with that and i'm sure you know death of the author interpretation whatnot i'm sure tarantino did have some some of that in mind when he wrote it but at the end of the day i think it's just tarantino doing what he does best just (laughs) writing having a good time writing interesting characters mm. and making films that he would have liked to seen when he was a film fan growing up yeah not to say that he had this objective of like frivolousness in mind but i just think that he i don't know i just i don't think he meant this film to have the gravity that everyone seems to think it does i think he just wanted to
1: Definitely,
0: yeah. Yeah, like, have fun.
1: But 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 like you say, though, and like we've said in the past, like, a lot of directors probably don't mean a lot of things that we analyse in it, yet they're still valid analyses. Yeah, yeah. And, like, but definitely I, I'd agree with you there. I think what Tarantino's intention was was just him having fun, like, and like a lot of people say, just jerking himself off over his previous movie, <laughs> movies um, about his whole filmography. And it's mm. also... Sort of a love letter in a sense to the past Hollywood because that's what inspired him this 60s Hollywood, right? Like, he Mm. he does actually talk about it a lot in interviews and says, like, Hollywood was so much better back then, blah blah blah. And he's kind of just reminiscing in a sense. I don't know how much he grew up in actually in the 60s, I don't, he couldn't have grown up that much in the 60s. I I think Uh, he
0: grew up in the 70s slash 80s, but you know, in that period, he watched a lot of films from the 60s. Yeah, that would make sense. So he, he,
1: he kind of sees that as like you know, the perfect era of film. And, and it's basically a love letter to ho- um, Hollywood, really, yeah. to the past. And I, and I think...
0: I love in this way how what he's created here, because, you know, he's he's gone to such lengths to make it look as, if it, as though it could have been made in the 60s. Yeah. But, you know, like, he, first of all, he didn't grow up in the 60s. He was watching films about the 60s. And then he's made a film about, you know, filming in the 60s. And it's like this film is like a double facsimile. Yeah. It's just like a copy of a copy... And this dude has truly merged himself with the fantasy of cinema. Like, yeah, yeah so Speaking
1: yeah. of like the whole film in a film thing, I, I like it because um because obviously there's a lot of um references to his previous films. Like the whole fourteen fists of McCluskey that Rick Dalton mm-hmm. acts in is obviously a reference to Inglourious Bastards. How he stands up on a thing and flame, flame, flame you know whatever flame the bunch of Nazis. And, yeah, yeah. and like the interview right at the start of the movie is actually a set from Django Unchained. And and, and all of these things are kind of references to his previous films, right? So mm. what it does to me is that it makes the film, this film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, feel more like it's reality because all his other films are kind of absurd, right? Like a lot of shit happens in it, in the narrative and stuff. And it's kind of like... It's, it's it's very, like, story-like. Like, it doesn't happen in real life. Like, the amount of gore there yep. is and one guy killing, like, 100 people, like, that shit never happens, right? It's, it's very Hollywood, very film. But in this one, nothing yep. really happens that's, like, absurd. Like, a lot of it is just, like, it could actually happen in real life. It's just these bunch of people walking around and the story about, like, a sad actor and stuff, right? And, mm. and what I like about that is that it accentuates the violence at the end of it so much better that... I honestly think that's, like, the most brutal scene that Tarantino's ever filmed. Because Mm. you kind of feel... Because only four people... Sorry, three people die in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Those three hippies. But normally we're used to seeing so much gore and it's kind of like... It's kind of like building up to the end of it, right? And it just makes it feel so much worse because you kind of... You feel like the people are more real because at the end of the day, they're the Mansons, which were real people, but also... The whole idea that this whole film doesn't have much going on in it in terms of violence, and then it's all pent up at the end, kind of makes it feel more legitimate.
0: Hmm. I also like how that structure and, and saving that hyper violence till the end that pl- plays into, you know, that analysis of this being a meditation on his career. Yeah, because you know one of the things he's always criticised about is the use of violence in his films, and if you're one of those people with that kind of sensibility and i don't know why you'd still be watching his films if you didn't like him but like just imagine like you're watching this film and you you know you're two and a half hours and you're like oh man like wow this dude's really you know grown up like he's shown some (laughs) he's shown restraint he's he's seems really mature now and then at the last 10 minutes this outburst like super fucking realistic violence yeah like yeah yeah i i um it's great
1: it's 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 some good shit it's yeah. it's um, And I, I like the irony in it because uh, the whole motive of the hippies when they're in a the car discussing why they're going to do it, the Mansons, they're like, oh, you know, why <laughs> don't we kill the people who taught us violence? Which is obviously severely ironic because you're using violence to kill people who taught you violence. It's hypocritical. And it's kind of like a dig at all those dickheads that have a go at, well, not necessarily dickheads, but people who object to Tarantino's way of directing with its extreme gore. It's like... Because, obviously, those Mansons are killing the people that taught them violence, which is sort of like killing Tarantino in a sense, right? And then he fucks them over mm. by just brutally killing them. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of like the idea that he's kind of having to dig at those kind of people.
0: Yeah, and from, from those characters' perspective, they're, like, very, you know, I guess, ireful toward Hollywood. And yet... <laughs> that that dude the text he's like a fan of uh jake cahill the character that he played so like, i yeah. can't believe that was jake cahill i used to have him on my <laughs> lunchbox <laughs> yeah
1: that was so fucking like like you know they hate them so much but then they love them at the same time like yeah which, yeah. which
0: is you know i think um so i used to work for this other group of guys um on their podcast mm. uh, my boy david over at dcm works does great film analysis podcast i was listening to their episode on hollywood and he said something really interesting which was just how what, you know basically what you said about it being a love letter but he articulated it like it's this kind of naive nostalgia for this time of homogeneity in filmmaking mm. because you know nowadays everyone's got a camera everyone's a fucking movie star you know yeah. but but like back in those days it's it was a completely different thing it was, it was this homogenous kind of culture you know yeah what you were either in into the film world or you weren't mm. And you know that this film is it being a film about films, just it expresses that through all these characters coming together to watch. You know, for example, like that show at the end, they all sit down at what, like seven thirty at night, to watch this one show, and it's like, kind of gives this sense of community. You know, a, like a simpler time when everyone just you know ha- had this one thing in common, kind of thing. And yeah, I don't know that just speaks to that's just reflected in for, like for example, text. You know, being a hating hollywood yet being a fan of rick dalton yeah it's just like this yeah this naive enchantment with you know the the, the old ways of filming and yeah yeah films definitely. in general i guess yeah
1: all right what's the matter partner well, it's official old buddy and it has been what are you talking about what did that guy tell you told me the goddamn truth is what he told me whoa whoa Hey.
0: I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry
1: about that. Here, put these on. Don't cry in front of the Mexicans. Now, what's got you so upset, man? Well, coming face to face with the failures that is your career ain't worth crying about, then I don't know what the fuck is. Right, that guy in there turned you down? No. He wants to help me get into Italian movies. Well, what's the problem? I got to do fucking Italian goddamn movies, that's a fucking problem. So um, to me, what I like about this movie is the whole historical revisionist side of it. So n- now that I figured out that the whole thing is based around the Tate murders, and I, I really like the idea that kind of these fictional characters that Tarantino made, Rick and Cliff, are sort of like the heroes of Sharon Tate in an alternate universe. Hmm. Because when Rick Dalton comes out, superb acting by dicaprio when he's all drunk drinking the fucking <laughs> cocktail out of the um the mixer and, and tells him to fuck off he's like he's so
0: good at acting yeah, he, drunk
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, I read some dumb fucking posts the other day that was trying to justify that matt damon was a better actor than dicaprio and and brad pitt in what context like just in general matt damon is a much better actor than leonardo dicaprio and brad pitt because apparently Matt Damon, oh, sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are sort of, like, typecasted into these weird roles where they just have to do extreme acting. But, like, Matt Damon does, like, really homely domestic shit where he's just, like, right. a family dad kind of thing. Which is which is true, but, like... I mean, is, is that not him being typecasted, what he's
0: good at? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. It was, <laughs> it was such a hypocritical pose. Plus, I don't know, Matt Damon doesn't have, like, scenes where he just, you know, exceeds the expectations of actors, in the modern world, you know, yeah. like, you know, he's just he's just an all-around decent actor. But, like, DiCaprio just does some shit that's just fucking phenomenal.
0: Mm.
1: Anyway, so when, when he comes out, it's it's kind of cool because he's, like, kind of changing the course of history, right? Because they were going to go to the Tates. That's why um, Charlie Manson actually scouted out at the Tates' house halfway through the movie when Cliff's on the roof fixing the antenna. Yeah. So that's meant to be Charlie Manson. And, like, their intention... So, so up until that point, it's sort of following what history... Did, right because like, that's what really happened charlie manson scouted out um the quotes that Tex says about making it all witchy and stuff mm. were legitimate things that charlie manson said to them when he told them to kill the tates and then decap well sorry rick comes out and kind of like saves a day almost you know like like we were expecting this to happen this disaster that did happen in our history and then tarantino comes along and kind of like reverts that and changes it to a different course of history and then absolutely shits on the Mansons by just slaughtering them. Mm. And I I like the whole idea behind it because it kind of shows us a world in which these terrible murders didn't have to happen. And it also kind of shows us the life of Sharon Tate in a different sense that it's not... We're not concentrating on her as a victim of the Mansons because that's mostly what people care about. You know, we're actually concentrating about her... And her acting career and how successful she was as an actress. Mm. And for people who think that's not true, I think it is because Deborah Tate, Sharon's sister, was actually on set during the whole production of this and kind of validated Margot Robbie's acting to ensure that she was similar to her dead sister. Right. So Tarantino was very considerate about it. He wasn't being like, you know, like he seems like the kind of guy that's kind of a dick sometimes, but he was actually honoring Sharon, Sharon Tate, in my opinion. Didn't. Hence why Deborah Tate was on set.
0: Didn't offer the same consideration for Bruce Lee, though. Yeah, but
1: he um, didn't I, die in a tragic event. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, that's just just par. You know, a parody of Bruce Lee. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lee in this movie. I
1: mean, he didn't do it for Hitler, did he? In Inglorious Bastards. So, <laughs> all right, that's a bit
0: different. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, like the the scenes with Sharon Tate honestly like for me uh you know the weakest points of the film like they i don't know i didn't find them as interesting but they're not you know just yeah yeah, but how this film ends and you know as you were talking about how they went to such lengths to be considerate of how they portrayed sharon tate like i i dig it man i i like how nice it is
1: yeah because the whole point is is that it's not glorifying her so if you if you make a scene mundane it just seems like a daily life because at the end of the day what we all do every day is mundane you know, even even famous people. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of just showing you what her normal life was like.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, I it's it's just a very kind of nice thing to do. And if if I have yeah. to sit through like ten minutes of you know watching Sharon Tate go throughout a daily routine to in this two and forty minute film, you know, like
1: yeah, sure. But, um, I mean, especially if she's acted by Margot Robbie, I'm happy to watch that. So
0: <laughs> you and Margot Robbie, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> lover
1: yeah i need to watch australian psychopath actually
0: australian psychopath
1: yeah the female ver. not sorry the australian version of american psychopath what where the psychopath is margot robbie who's an australian i had no idea this existed. she's australian but she's australian in the movie too i didn't know this existed yeah yeah th- th- there's like scenes where it's exactly the same you know when um christian bale's peeling off the face mask mm. in the mirror and it's kind of like symbolizing you know, his mask self and all that. Like, Margot Robbie does the exact same thing in that film. I don't think... It's nowhere near as good, but I just want to watch it.
0: Yeah, interesting.
1: One last thing for me. I've tried to kind of, like... I think... Well, i try tried to kind of bundle up what the meaning of Tarantino is. You know, like, what, what kind of stuff he does. And I think we can kind of... Well, what I would safely pin it under is absurdism. Mm. Where there's not much meaning. And it, it, absurdism is basically... A philosophical outlook on life similar to what's it called nihilism how do you say it nihilism nihilism, nihilism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, all right i had it right the second time before you said it just for the record um but yeah the, the absurd by definition refers to the conflict between a human tendency to seek inherent value and meaning in life and the human inability to find any in a purposeless meaningless or chaotic and irrational universe so similar to i guess the Kind of, it's got similar undertones to what we we're discussing in our Uncut Gems podcast, and Lovecraft kind of ideals, where the whole idea is is that there is no meaning in life, so kind of enjoy it as it is, while some people try and really pin meaning on life and and like trying to elaborate on things that are very important like consciousness or or animals lives or whatever you know like like but in in terms of absurdism you kind of just don't care about that and and it's like what is the point of it all there isn't so let's just have fun and i think kind of that's that's kind of what tarantino goes for because a lot of his movies seem like they do have meaning like pop fiction is a good example mainly because i watched that recently but Samuel Jackson's character, Jules, was always going on about the shepherd and the flock. And, you know, like, it it seems so meaningful. But then when you kind of read into it, it's not a great deal of meaning in it. And it's just what Tarantino is trying to do is it's almost like he's kind of taking a piss out of getting meaning in film. Mm, Yeah. And those that, like, and a good example of that is that the Mansons in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they are seeking meaning, right? Like, they think they've got the answer to it all. The cult themselves—they've got these ideals that think you know they think they're everything and they know everything and they they've they're set in life. They've got a meaning. And what does um, Tarantino do? He just kills them, and or that makes them seem nonsensical, makes them seem stupid, and kind of like shits on them as murderers, but also as people who think they have meaning.
0: Yeah, I like uh, I like how absurdism manifests in Pulp Fiction. Just all the yeah chance random stuff that happens like the very um yeah. unlikely stuff
1: yeah 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 I, yeah i was actually going to say that yeah the, the unlikely things like um the bullets yeah yeah the, the bullets <laughs> or, or when um old mate marcellus he's walks in front of butchers car yeah. on the street and it, like just out of pure chance yeah yeah or um Mansons happen to live at Spahn Ranch where Cliff happens to know George kind of thing. Like, there's there's all these, like, absurdist qualities in there where it's just, like, it comes down to sort of, like, like, just random chance, right? And that mm. kind of accentuates this idea that we're kind of subject to probability and just random things occurring rather than, like, things that are set. Or, and I guess you could get into a discussion about free will or not in this kind of context. But it, it's cool. Like, I, I think that's kind of what he's gone for. If you had to kind of, like, summarize very briefly... Kind of what Tarantino's movies are about. It's just like, yeah, like like you got you got directors that try and add so much meaning. Like like Nolan's movies in particular, they have a lot of meaning in them. You know that they do try and say things, and you know like you watch something like Westworld, which I've been watching recently, and that's just like imbued with so much meaning. And like you could just analyze it for meaning, you know, and that's what they go for. But the absurdist response to that kind of thing was like, well, what's the point? Since we're all going to die anyway. Let's just have fun and not bother with such meaning.
0: I like how the historic revision in this film is very much aligned with that absurdist ethos of how you know they go to the wrong house, they go to the house next to Sharon Tate. Yeah, and it's like yeah, that could have happened, you know. But it's it's like you know in *Inglorious Bastards*, it's a revision because you know the but there's this whole thing about the bastards coming up with this plan to kill Hitler, like that never happened, probably. Yeah. Um, I don't know yeah I'm assuming but you know it's, it's a very like drawn out thing whereas this it's just at the very end they just make this one little like you know mistake and then it changes very drastically the course of events you know
1: yeah yeah, yeah asshole I'm talking to you what the hell do you think you're doing bringing that noisy of shit around here at midnight this is a private road alright who are you nor are you here to see, huh nobody sir we just got lost and a little turned around oh horse shit
0: you
1: fucking hippies came up here to smoke dope on a dark road huh next time you want to try that fix your fucking muffler look we're really sorry we disturbed you look chief you don't belong here now take this mechanical asshole and get it off my fucking street um did you have anything else to say
0: yeah i guess what i was saying earlier about like the this nostalgia for the homogeneity of films and media in general i it seems like it's a nostalgia in the way that it's a bygone era which it kind of is like you know this there are a lot of unique things about hollywood in the 60s but i think it's a bit misplaced like i don't think that homogeneity is isn't around anymore for films and media and in fact I, it's different sh- for sure but i think the the culture around it is still very much in its own world you know uh film is a very i don't know like singular subject and there's always going to be people like us to appreciate these films and pick them apart and yeah be inspired to you know make new shit to in- inspire other people and
1: oh definitely yeah i, yeah. I, I think but ta- i mean it's it, it's probably just comes down to he grew up then, so he looks at it as the perfect time. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, like that's his childhood. It's but, We all do it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and, you know, I, I don't think he's entirely not aware about this either. For example, the guy who plays Charles Manson is the guy who also plays Charles Manson in Mind Hunters. Yeah. Yeah, which is a very, you know, modern show. And the lead actor in the cowboy show Rick is in is Timothy Oliphant, who's the lead in Deadwood, a you know, modern TV show about... Uh, about the Wild West kind of thing. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, there's okay.
0: a bunch of shit like that in the in the film of Tarantino still very much acknowledging the continuing presence of this kind of world.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I, it's, yeah, I don't think yeah. um, he, he just loves the 60s and, you know, like, reminisces. I don't think he's necessarily looking down upon the current generation. Oh, no, not film. at all, yeah. Yeah.
0: Alrighty, righty, I think we'll wrap it up about there.
1: Mitchie, do you have any recommendations for this week? Well, I don't really have anything related to this particular movie, but last week we we reviewed Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, right? Mm. And uh, I think we had a discussion about the three directors, the three big horror directors that are kind of emerging recently. And Mm. I know you've seen this, but I watched Get Out a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. By Jordan Peele. And I thought it was a really good movie. It kind of introduces a bit of contention into which one's my th- favourite out of the three directors now. But I'm on board with him as much as I am with Robert Eggers and Ari Aster. So, going to watch Us soon. And, yeah, if you if you want to get into more horror stuff related to The Lighthouse, I'd definitely recommend Get Out.
0: Fuck yeah. Yeah, I'm also a huge fan of both of his films. <laughs> so, in the vein of, I guess, something relevant... <laughs> the- <laughs> so, there's a long line of movies that have once upon a time in the title uh there's once upon a time in america once upon a time in mexico once upon a time in china and obviously this film is uh, a riff on that as like a kind of spoof i guess i've only seen once upon a time in china with jet lee which from my memory wasn't too bad i don't know but yeah I'd, maybe you'd get some more insight if you'd watch those films maybe they have some sort of connecting thread through all of them that tarantino is commenting on maybe Interesting. Yeah. Other than that, Easy Rider is a film from the 60s, just about, like, a road trip movie. Mostly about, like, you know, people on a road trip talking. I don't know. I I assume it had to be an influence on on Hollywood and, you know, Tarantino. And it's the first film Jack Nicholson was ever in. So, yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: I mean, yeah, and the obvious, if you like this film, just go watch more Tarantino films. They're all
1: great, in my opinion. I reckon inglorious bastards it's my favorite out yeah of the others my favorite is django django is pretty good it's the most critically yeah. acclaimed too oh is it yeah i think it won the most awards maybe pop fiction did it as well i don't know yeah cool
0: where can people find us mitchy
1: so people can find us on spotify itunes soundcloud youtube or stitcher and if you have any questions please send through an email to mail at amttm.com or visit our website at com for more details on our other pages, such as Facebook and Instagram.
0: Alright, so next week, what are we doing, Mitchie?
1: Apparently, Avengers Endgame. I assume Endgame.
0: Hell yeah, boy. Yeah. B- why uh, are we doing this? Uh, ba-ba, ba Dude, fuck yeah, I'm so excited.
1: Why are we doing this, though?
0: Because I know how much you love the Marvel Cinematic Universe,
1: so I'm doing this for you. Uh... Yeah, okay, righto. But yeah, thanks for listening,
0: and uh, we'll catch you next time.
1: Bye. The Real
0: Steel, 93
1: 3.17 KHJ, totally intense. That's me, The Real Don Steel, Simon Garfunkeling, Mrs. Robinson.